Right, 15 minutes on raising leaders equipped for exile. You ready? In May 1845, the Franklin Expedition left from England, seeking to find the fabled Northwest Passage from the Arctic to the Pacific Ocean. So led by Sir John Franklin, he took with him 133 officers and crew on board two state-of-the-art sailing vessels equipped with auxiliary engines. The entire voyage was projected to take between two and three years. Each vessel took 12 days' worth of coal. Instead of additional coal, each vessel included a 1,200-volume library, a hand organ that could play 50 tunes, china place settings, sterling silver cutlery engraved with the officer's family crest. They took with them two dogs and a monkey named Jacko for companionship. They took no special clothing for the Arctic, only the uniforms of Her Majesty's Navy. Every soul perished. Over the years that followed, the bodies of the Franklin Expedition men were found strewn across the Arctic, many of them in a desperate bid for safe refuge from the elements, had launched out on the ice, dragging silver with them. One of them took a piece of a backgammon board with him, the skeleton of one officer was found. He traveled many tens of miles across the ice before succumbing to the cold. He dressed himself in the Royal Navy uniform, this beautiful jacket with a silver braid. Over it, he'd worn a blue overcoat and a black silk neckerchief. Now, the analogy is imperfect, but discipleship in our context is all about launching out into an environment, a cultural environment, that is uncongenial to living the Christian life. And if you're a polar explorer, it won't do to swagger jauntily out on the ice with your backgammon board and your silver. You've got to be properly equipped or you'll very quickly succumb to conditions. And so it is for us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it won't do to go out into the world without being properly equipped or you will very quickly succumb to conditions. But every month we hear the stories, don't we, of Christian leaders who have succumbed. We hear the tragic tales of burnout, disillusionment, catastrophic moral failure and loss of faith. Raising leaders equipped for exile. That's my theme. It's not a how-to session. I'm going to talk about general principles, and I've drawn heavily from a book by Mark Sayers, a book called Disappearing Church, but I've adapted his material where he talks about six principles. I'm gonna talk about four, and I want to illustrate those principles with reference to the life of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had a remarkable ministry that spanned the period of the Babylonian captivity in the sixth century BC. So four principles, here we go. Number one, leaders equipped for exile recognize their situation of exile. Now, Matthew Hosea prepared the way for, for this a little bit earlier on. Made the point that we can easily settle into a comfortable life and barely notice the corrosive effects that secular culture are having on our lives, on our churches, and on the lives of our children. It is perilous out there on the ice. Now, we're not anti-culture. The gospel says both no and yes to culture, but this is not our home. We're citizens of heaven. We're, we're pilgrims passing through like John Bunyan's great hero on his way to the celestial city. Now when we turn to the life of Jeremiah, we see that before Israel was even sent into exile, Jeremiah knew the experience of living in exile. Mark Sayers describes the experience of exile as the state of not feeling at home. 
Jeremiah was a man of his city. He was an inhabitant of Jerusalem. He was thoroughly immersed in the culture of his day, yet he was never fully at home in his culture. And we see a taste of that in his message. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse three. Jeremiah says, for 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you, the people, again and again, but you have not listened. 23 years of being out of step with the people. 23 years of being out of step with popular opinion. He suffered abuse, hostility, rejection, mockery. There must have been many times when he was tempted to give up. He never quit. He never adjusted his life to the cultural norms of the day. He was in a constant state of not feeling at home. And to live like that takes extraordinary strength and courage. It's significant that when the word of the Lord first came to Jeremiah, when he was just a young man, God said to him, I am making you to be a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall. You're going to be resilient, Jeremiah. You're going to take your stand because while these are your people, you will never be fully at home among them. You're my man, Jeremiah. So the first step in raising leaders equipped for exile is to recognize our situation of exile without it we will very quickly succumb to the conditions outside. First principle. Second principle. Leaders equipped for exile recognize their areas of compromise with culture. So we move from the conditions outside to the conditions inside. When we look at the life of Jeremiah, we see that he had an extraordinary degree of self-awareness. Jeremiah 12. He's just learned of a plot against his life. And the first four verses of Jeremiah 12 are taken up with Jeremiah's complaint to God. And then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and it is not what we would expect. God says to Jeremiah in chapter 12, verse five, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses, Jeremiah? Pull yourself together, stop whining. Same thing happens, Jeremiah 15. This time, Jeremiah prays to God, you are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. How's that for a prayer? You ever prayed like that to God? And the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Do you know what God says? You need to repent, Jeremiah. Repent. The same word that Jeremiah has been given by the Lord to say to the people is the word of the Lord to him because he's consumed with self-pity. He's dominated more by self than he is by God. And of course, that's the exact problem with the people that he's been sent to preach to. They're they're self-centered rather than God-centered. And now the sin of the people is starting to infect Jeremiah's soul. If God's treatment of Jeremiah seems harsh, just think of what is at stake here. He has been called to be utterly uncompromising in his message, to be in the crowd, but nothing like the crowd. But there is a real danger of Jeremiah becoming just like them. And the remarkable thing, when you read the book of Jeremiah, this is, these are words that Jeremiah has recorded himself. This is not a narrator telling us about Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah telling us about Jeremiah, giving us insight into how he came to the realization that he himself was not immune from the corrosive effects of his culture. Compromise with culture so easily seeps into our lives, robbing us of the rich life of Christ, which is why we need leaders who are self-aware. Leaders equipped for exile recognize their areas of compromise with culture. Third principle, 
Leaders equipped for exile recognize the critical need for a deep walk with God. Now, to neglect this area more than anything is like a polar explorer going out on the ice equipped with nothing more than the, uh, the uniform of Her Majesty's Navy and a silk neckerchief. Seven times in Jeremiah, very important number biblically, isn't it? Number seven. Seven times in Jeremiah, the text shifts from talking about the address that Jeremiah has for the people to the address that Jeremiah has for God. And we get an insight into what fueled his life and ministry. How did he do it? Year after year, decade after decade, being out of step with popular opinion, being out of step with mainstream culture. How did he maintain his focus? How did he maintain his courage, his resolve, his resilience? The answer is, Jeremiah prayed. He prayed. And note this, Jeremiah did not pray nice prayers. They're the addresses of a soul in turmoil. He felt fear, but he learned to turn his fear towards God in prayer. He felt hurt, he learned to pray his hurt. He felt anger, he brought all his anger and all its ugliness to the throne of grace. And through prayer, he got to know his God better and arrived at a true estimation of God. He discovered that his God was bigger than his fear, bigger than his hurt, bigger than his anger. God doesn't want our nice prayers. He desires us to lay our souls bare before him. Jeremiah shows us the way. He invested in a deep walk with God. Fourth principle. Leaders equipped for exile dig deep into orthodoxy to find a message that carries deep resonance. I know, a snappy one, this one, right? Um, principle four. Now, when we live in a culture that does not know God, does not acknowledge God, where our message is unpopular or frequently just met with absolute indifference, the great temptation that the church has faced in every age is to change our message to suit the culture, to pursue novelty. Jeremiah had no interest in novelty. His message was rooted in orthodoxy. Orthodoxy from the Greek, doxa, meaning belief, and orthos, meaning right, straight, or true. Now, Jeremiah was born during the final decade of King Manasseh's reign. If you know your Old Testament, you know that Manasseh was an absolutely disastrous king. He was the worst king in Israel's history. And under Manasseh's rule, Israel had become a, a cesspool of idolatry, and corruption, and brazen evil. But then Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, took the throne. And Josiah was a very, very different kind of king. He embarked on these grand, ambitious reforms to clean up the public and religious life of Israel. And Josiah started at the temple. And one day, while the temple was being renovated, someone discovered a book in the temple. It was shoved back in a storeroom somewhere. Someone discovered the book of Deuteronomy. And everyone had completely forgotten about the book of Deuteronomy. Manasseh had been on the throne for over half a century. Deuteronomy had been completely neglected. An entire generation had grown up with no knowledge of this book. Jeremiah became a man of one book. He lived with Deuteronomy. He immersed himself in Deuteronomy until it became a part of him. He didn't add to the scripture. He didn't change the scripture. Yes, the way in which he communicated his message was exceedingly creative, but his message itself was not new. 
he re-preached Deuteronomy to the people and the result was electric. In Jeremiah 36, got a lovely story. Jeremiah is forbidden to speak in public, so he dictates his message to a scribe. The scribe goes to the temple, preaches the message of Jeremiah to the people at the temple. There's a young man in the crowd who is undone by what he hears. He's absolutely floored by it. He's called Micaiah. So he runs from that place to go and speak to his father, who just so happens to be an official in the king's government. And at that moment, his father just so happens to be meeting with other officials in the king's government. And this young man bursts into the room and says, I've just heard the message from the prophet Jeremiah, brings it into that setting. And then these men go, the king has got to hear this. So the scroll of Jeremiah is now read in the presence of the king, King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is sat in front of the fire and he's got a penknife in his hand and as Jeremiah's scroll is read to him, he takes his penknife and he cuts the scroll up into pieces, piece by piece, and throws the fragments into the flames. It's a story charged with drama and the point is this, that the word of God when communicated faithfully always carries deep resonance. It connects with people. And Eugene Peterson makes the point in his lovely book on Jeremiah that this is just as true of the king as it is anyone else. That's precisely why the king reacted in the way that he did. He knew that he was hearing the word of God at that precise moment in time. And there's a comic twist to the story. When Jeremiah discovers that his scroll has been destroyed by the king, he simply dictates his message all over again. But this time, with extensive additions. <laughs> the king would have done well to have left his scroll well alone, because now there's a, a much longer version that is circulating through the streets of Jerusalem. So my theme, raising leaders equipped for exile. Principle one, leaders equipped for exile recognize their situation of exile. They have a true estimation of culture. Principle two, leaders equipped for exile recognize their areas of compromise with culture. They have a true estimation of themselves. Three, leaders equipped for exile recognize the critical need for a deep walk with God. Through commitment to prayer, they, ad- they arrive at a true estimation of God. And number four, leaders equipped for exile dig deep into orthodoxy to find a message that carries deep resonance. They have a true estimation of the word of God. In short, leaders equipped for exile are just like Jeremiah. They're not intimidated by our culture. They don't become dis despondent, disillusioned. They don't lose their nerve, they stay the course. They're resilient. They're like a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. They're the kinds of leaders that God calls us to be, the kinds of leaders we need to raise.